We are in week 10 of Come Follow Me, and that is Genesis chapter 28 through 33. And the first thing that I wanted to point out is that Isaac gives Jacob a blessing, knowing full well who he is, and blesses him and tells him to take a wife of the covenant to go back. And so I think it's important that we know that he got a blessing and got another blessing. And obviously, Isaac knows that he needed to bless his son. And like I've said before, you can't take something that wasn't someone else's to give. God knew that it was to go to Jacob and there were witnesses to Rebecca. So it was the right thing. Okay, so he goes and one of the things that I love is in verse 15, it says he's in this place that's very similar to the temple and other podcasts have have alluded to that, the mountain of the Lord, and that this is a temple experience, Jacob's ladder. Okay, 15. It says, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken of thee. And then I love in 16 that Jacob awakens. And of course, this is um, and says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And I love this realization of God in our life, that he is walking with us. And so I this just reminded me of Elder Irene's talk, and it's been over 10 years ago where he said to journal how you've seen the hand of God in your life. And I started doing that once I heard that talk. And I think it's so important because it attunes us to how God walks with us. And so that realization of surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. We want to know he walks with us and is aware of us. Okay, 21. So he comes and then it says, then shall the Lord be my God. And it's after this that he determines that God will be his God. And I don't think it's that God wasn't his before, but I think all of us have had moments where we are born again. You know how born again Christians know the exact date and time? Well, even as members of the church, being um, a member of my entire life, I can tell you exact moments and times where I was so aware of God in my life that I was born again and recommitted and surely said, as Jacob said, then shall the Lord be my God. And all in, and I love this, and I love that he then determines that he will pay tithing. And um, all the blessings that come from that, that we up our effort, but it's never without the Lord opening the windows of heaven and pouring out his blessings that we just decide more. And that happens when we go to the temple. We make a covenant and we exalt ourselves to an even higher level and walk with him even more. And he opens up the blessings of heaven to us. And so I love that. Um, There is a difference in opening the doors of our chapel and saying, come, everyone come. But there is a difference in the temple. And it is for those who have covenanted to live a higher law. And it needs to be, or God cannot be there. And so I love that. Okay. 11.29, like Jacob doesn't determine how. This is what I want you to do so that I know this is the woman that I should marry. And I'm comparing this to Abraham's servant who comes and says, okay, let the girl come and offer me water and offer to water my camels. I love that Jacob just moves forward trusting that word that God says, I will be with you. And interestingly, I am in the Book of Mormon right now studying 
um, the Jaredites' journey and the three ways that God answers their prayer to give them air, to um, steer their boat by his furious wind that comes out of his mouth, and then also to say, how would you have me light the boat? I love this because Abraham's servant outlines and the Lord answers. Here, Jacob just walks forward with faith. And he's blown out of the water because who should come but Rachel? And it's Laban's daughter. So he has this incredible answer, answer to prayer. And after, and I love this, he goes and serves Laban. Laban comes a month later to him and says, what should your wages be? You're working for me. I should pay you something. And I think it's so cool because Ammon went and said to the king, I desire to be thy servant. I think this is such humility that Jacob just comes and decides he's going to work for him and just live there. He's not thinking of, okay, this is what you should give me. But he's so in love over this month with, with Rachel, that's what he asks for. And I think that is just cool. Again, this illustration of God's answer to prayer. Okay, in 30... I love that it says he also loved Rachel more than Leah because I think that is so important that we understand that's so hard to, to disguise. And if you go to Genesis 31, 15, when he says to them, we've got to leave, that Jacob's heart is different to them. This is so interesting. It says, are we not counted of him strangers for he has sold us? And I love that because it really illustrates to me, Leah just really didn't have a choice in this. And I do think it isn't that Laban from the get-go decided to be deceptive. That was seven years. Maybe he hoped someone else would come along and marry Leah. And he is duty-bound as a father. But how hard from the get-go to be married to the same man, these two sisters, and for Leah to absolutely know that he prefers Rachel. And I just think, man, that, I just love Leah. What a test that would be in her faith. And as it goes through in chapter 30, the naming of their children, I do love that when she has her fourth, it focuses on her love of God and her relationship with God through this trial that she's quit focusing on what her husband does or does not do. And this comparison with her sister but by the fourth one, it is that the Lord loves her when she names Judah. And I just think that's beautiful. Okay, chapter 31. Um, it, it's so interesting that it says Laban's son. He heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's. Of that which our father got, hath he gotten all this? And um, so there's jealousy of sons. And you don't realize that Laban doesn't talk about that. But there's this comparison between these brothers of Leah and Rachel. And the sons are upset. So the Lord comes in verse 12 and says, I have seen all that Laban doeth to thee. And I think that is so important that God sees even when others do not. And he makes up for everything we suffer here. His daughters say he has sold us 16 for all the riches which God hath taken from our father that is ours and our children's whatsoever God hath said unto thee do. And I love that his wives say that. And so um, Jacob knows it is now time to go home and go back. And he doesn't do it. He, he wants to after 14 years of working for the two sisters, his wives, and then 
Um, Laban talks him into staying another six because he says the Lord has so blessed you and he stays another six. It isn't until God says to him, now go. And I think that's really an illustration of Jacob's life that he goes, okay, now I will go. God warns Laban and says to him, um, let's see, verse 24, God came to Laban in a dream by night and said, take heed thou not that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad. And then when he overtakes Jacob and he starts to get a little bit possessive and says in verse 43, these daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. These cattle are my cattle. You have taken all that is mine. I mean, that is such a lie from Satan. He is not. They have worked this covenant, this oath between each other, and nothing did Jacob take that wasn't his. And then in 27, he says, Why did you steal away from me that I might have sent thee away with mirth, with songs, with tarbet, with harp? And then in 29, it was in my power to do you hurt. But the God of your father spake to me, saying, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad. And we just, the interesting thing is God's protection being witnessed here again, that he goes before Jacob's face and is with him and has spared him. And that if God comes first, God really works miracles in our life. And I love that. Okay, then we go to 32. And again, we're having this temple experience. And in verse 3 of 32, it says, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau. Okay, so he sends these men ahead of him and says, Tell my brother I'm coming, I have gifts for him. Well, the mess, and that's so interesting to know. Before we get into this, the messengers return and say, Your brother is coming with 400 men. Okay, well, now we have some background to why Jacob might be freaking out, thinking, oh my gosh, it's been 20 years, he, he's not over this, and he starts to pray. He doesn't know what else to do. He's freaking out. You've told me to come, God, and this is what he says in verse 9. You told me, return to thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. You said, and I'm obeying that, in verse 10, he says, I'm not worthy of the least of these. It's not that I think I'm worthy, but I am being obedient to you. And you told me to do this. And here comes my brother with 400 men. Why on earth would he need to come with 400 men? Of course he's freaking out. And then it says again in verse 12, I will surely do thee good. You said, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sands of the seas. And then inspiration comes in verse 13. It comes to his mind what to give his brother as a present. So he sends all these flocks and all these animals, and he thinks he's going to appease him. So sends them. Then he's inspired again and divides his wives and has their children go first and then his wives. And then in Alma 8.10, I wanted to read this. This is a footnote. And it says, Alma labored much in spirit, wrestling with God in mighty prayer, that he would pour out his spirit upon the people who are in this city, um, that he would also grant that he might baptize them into repentance. So this is a footnote here in verse 24, when he is left alone and he's wrestling with the spirit. He is praying so hard that God will pour out his spirit on his brother and soften his heart, that he won't be so angry with him. Jacob's 
imagination is just running wild. He left in fear for his life. So of course he's so afraid. And I love as he pours out and wrestles this wrestle, please send thy spirit on my brother. It also comes to this temple experience again. And the important thing when it talks about his hand under his thigh, if you go back to the story of Abraham and his servant, the footnote to the hand and the thigh is the hand to the hand. And so as we're talking about this temple experience, again, keep that in mind, hand to hand, and that he gets a new name from God. And so I think that's important that we know that. Okay, chapter 33. So we come to verse four, and Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, kissed him, and they wept. And that so reminds me of the prodigal son, the father who has been waiting and watching and runs to him. He does not make the son come and beg. Esau comes with all humility and love and embraces him. And I just think this is so beautiful. And the thing that I love, he says, I have enough, but he does take the gift as Jacob begs him to take it. What I love in verse 20, the very last verse, it says, and he erected there an altar and called it, and I don't even know how to say that, but it is, is the God of Israel. It's talking about Elohim, is the God of Israel. And again, he acknowledges his God who has answered his prayers, our God and his power. And I love that that is how this section ends with, again, this prayer and this acknowledging God and his miracles in his life and acknowledging that God will be his God, that he will trust in him. And I think that's so beautiful. What answers to prayer we find in our covenants in the temple and what recommitment we make in our lives as God works miracles in our lives and spares us and walks with us in ways we don't even realize and we recommit to him, you will be my God. So I love that example from this story. I hope you know the church is true. And more than that, I hope you know how much our Savior loves you.